that was a good sound. Rob, did you hear the woman say that we're recording now? <laughs> this time I, I heard, heard it. Time. I did not hear it last week. Mm, I'm better at hitting record. Week. I'm better at that. So if that. Sorry, Josh. I think it was because of me. No, I think it's from us. Hey, welcome back, Wes. Wes Hey, thank you. Wes is back. I make everything work better. You guys are welcome. (laughs) You're (laughs) our tech support. Yeah, you're our tech support. (laughs) How's the kitchen remodel going? Uh, Aggressive. And (laughs) it's going well. It's going to be a whole different house. Rob, could you have used some tech support while watching the documentary we're about to talk about? Yeah, apparently I could. Yes, <laughs> that, that would have been wonderful. <laughs> Closed captions would have been good. They would have been very helpful, as, as we are soon to find out. I'm I'm going to take a little back seat in this one. I think maybe uh, <laughs> chime in when I can, and uh, maybe trans. Someone can help me translate what I'm trying to say. That that'd be fantastic. I think like 85 percent of the movie was not in English. Hundred <laughs> <laughs> percent. And even even the English parts were heavy accents, so it was even harder. (laughs) Yeah, oh yeah. In in my defense, if you go into the Android app, uh, and you and you try to turn on closed captioning, at least for this this video, I'm telling you it does not exist. But that's okay. There were certain parts that were in English, and those parts (laughs) I was they were great, very attentive. (laughs) That's good. That's good. (laughs) Perfect. So we will provide some context to that. Uh, so welcome everyone to episode 29 of the Bruise Day podcast. I'm Josh and I'm joined by Andy Robb. And as we mentioned, we're welcoming Wes back to his first podcast of season two. So welcome back. Thank you. Thank you. Thank, thank you. Today, we're going to talk about a documentary we all recently watched called Beer, A Love Story. So it, it was independently made, but it, there was some partnership with Untapped, which is how we found it. So we're going to chat through some themes we pulled and then jump into a Super Bowl big board. And, and we've got some other some other fun topics to bring to the table today. So with that, let's do it. Cheers, guys. Cheers. 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 For our Cheers Beer of the Week, we are all drinking Vito the Beer Whale Cat. Uh, it's a double New England IPA by Fat Orange Cat Brew Company out of East Hampton, Connecticut. It's an 8% beer. There, there's no IBU listed. Um, in the beer description, they talk uh, mostly about the hop combination of Azaka and Simcoe, um, sort of looking for, you know, intense flavors of tropical fruit um, with some sort of mellow finish. Now that we've all had a, a chance to take a couple sips on it, what are you guys thinking? I, I'm surprised by this one. It's a double New England IPA. I It pours very clear. It looks like an IPA. I mean, there's a little bit of haziness to it. It's not clear. It's not like an American IPA, but it taste to me more like west coast ipa to be honest like even even a little bit more bitter and like dank than a uh american ipa almost west coast ipa i don't get much of the flavor they're they're getting there and i don't get a mellow finish i get a pretty like punch of hoppy bitterness at the end um i don't dislike it it just doesn't seem to fit what i've what i've read and was expecting in this beer yeah wes i'll i'll agree with you on that when it I'm not really getting a lot of the flavors that they even talk about in the description or also some of the kind of profile that both the Azaka and the Simcoe hops bring into it. I will say um, the one thing I'm kind of picking up on is a little bit of like pininess and, and definitely good bitterness. I, I'm surprised they don't have an IBU listed because this is definitely a bitter beer. So they're very easily is a number that they could have kind of calculated I'm just not, I agree. I'm not getting the tropical fruit. I, I, the one thing I do definitely agree with in the description is the mellow finish, but I'm not getting anywhere near the the tropical fruits or even kind of the, some of the additional notes that Simcoe can bring in, like either like a spiciness or like an almost like, yeah, I'm just not getting it. Yeah. I get, I get pine immediately. I'm definitely picking up on that. And then I feel like there is like I think you guys are saying like mellowness, it, it's almost like a multi bitterness towards the end. Um, I, this, the, the reason I'm surprised is I was expecting it to be a little bit more hazy. And I think to your point, Wes, it, it does remind me more of a West coast IPA. There are like hints of grapefruit at the end, which I think are, um, I think that's where like that malt bitterness, it, that's where I'm a little confused on like what's happening at the end, but I think I'll maybe by the, after I get a little further into this, I'll pick up on it a little bit more, but I feel like there, there's like, 
the grapefruit is to me probably that tropical flavor that they were talking about. I I just get a ton of hops. I think I agree with you guys Mm. that I'm not seeing like a creamy mellow finish. If anything, there's maybe a tiny bit of mellowness right up front. Um, and, And I do get, I guess, a slight bit of tropical, but then, you know, I'm immediately punched in the mouth by the hops. I like it. I think to, to all of your points, it's just not necessarily um, what I was expecting based on that beer description. Not to say it's a bad beer, just maybe unexpected. If Okay, real quick though, if I smell it, like I, I'm, be, I'm beginning to get a couple like good whiffs, the aroma of this beer basically is like the exact description of this beer. Tropical, it like smells mellow and a little bit of tropical scent there but it does not taste like how it smells, which is very interesting. Yeah, I like it. The The one thing that I didn't uh, mention beforehand, so the average untapped rating is a 3.92 out of five. I think if, if I'm not trying to say like, oh, it tastes exactly like what it says, if, if I'm just drinking it for the beer that it is, I think I'm actually maybe at least a point or two higher than that. I think I'm a 4142. Um, are you guys there? Do you need to sit on the beer a little bit longer? What are you thinking about a rating? I like it. I mean, like you said, if, if I was rating it on what they told me I was about to drink and my expectation for it, I'd probably take ding in a couple points, but I like it. I'm probably right around the rating, to be honest. I'm probably like a three, nine. It's got a little bit, now that I've had a few more sips, it's got a little bit of sweetness that kind of lingers in my mouth that I don't necessarily love. Um, doesn't, kill it but like i it's it's a good beer i I like it it's i like that nice hoppiness about it so it's it's a good beer i'd probably land at a four on this one i think in comparison to other new england ipas i yeah i I don't know is it just not murky enough for you rob i don't think so (laughs) no not for a double new england but just because it's a double new england doesn't mean it has to be murkier murkier though oh uh, Totally agree. I, I just feel like I, I, especially from New England, I kind of expect um, like these, these New England IPAs to be very murky, very hazy. Uh, but I, I guess I'm just not, I don't know. I, I like it. I'm giving it a four. I'm probably not going to go much higher than that. I can't see through it. That, yeah, that's true. By definition, that is yeah. murky. <laughs> I'm actually probably closer to, to Josh's rating. I'm I enjoy this a lot. I probably wouldn't need to read the description because that threw me off from what it actually tastes. But I, I'm enjoying it. I would say, you know, four one, four two. But I would also throw out there, Rob, you made a comment that obviously they're from the northeast or like kind of the New England area. What if this is more of the real New England IPA style and what we get over here on the, or kind of in the center on the West coast is a West coast interpretation, which they're just like, well, let's just do more more more. And so it becomes murkier. Maybe this is the true New England IPA and what we're getting are imitations. Man, maybe the damn, yeah. that sounds like a topic <laughs> for another episode. It does. What's the center of New England to West coast. Find <laughs> yeah, that exactly. city. Let's go ahead and, and jump into our, our first and, and really main topic today, which is the, the documentary we all, all watched, Beer, A Love Story. Um, like many other untapped users, I think you all recently uh, sort of learned about this documentary through some of the push notifications. That's at least where I found it. I don't know if you guys had seen it previously. Um, it was originally released back in November through a couple of different like film festivals. And I think, honestly, you, you could have found it, just nobody knew about it. Um, the film explores sort of some of the motivations and interests of over 30 international brewers, uh, back to our, our sort of point about Rob probably missing out on, on 80% of that. Um, but it was partially navigated by Christoph Bickler, uh, who's the head brewer of Birol, uh, based out of Austria, and his trip sort of through Europe uh, into the U.S., and, and he sort of went all over the place. Having watched it, and, and before we get into some of the themes that we pulled out, um, just what did you guys think of it overall? I, I think I would recommend it to somebody who loved beer, but just curious to see if you all agree. Yeah, Josh, I would definitely agree with the sentiment about if you're if you enjoy beer and you like beer, you're gonna find something about this film that you enjoy. You know, watching it and and hearing from the different brewers and seeing their facilities, and even seeing some of the methods 
that they used to brew was very surprising to me because I'm just used to the very industrial, you know, kind of what you see here in the United States, but you have all of these. And I, well, I think part of that is because we don't have the history that some of these other countries and some of these other breweries have. So you're seeing, you know, underground fermentation tanks, you're seeing, you know, wooden barrels from the 1800s that are still being used and reconditioned. That was awesome. That yeah, was really just, cool to see. There's no underground beer in El Segundo, California. No, there's not. There's not a 27,000 liter barrel <laughs> anywhere in the U.S. So it was really cool to kind of to to kind of see that. And that was one of the things that I took away from it was just how diverse the brewing process can be. Yeah, Andy, I feel like just what you're saying, like it's cool to see all those things. One thing I can say about that documentary is it is very visually appealing. They shot it so well. There's so many cool shots of beautiful vine, like vines of hops and old breweries, old brewing processes just shot really well. Um, so I you just don't even enjoy... need the dialogue. <laughs> you do. It helps. It does help. That's how you learn things. <laughs> um, I just... What I think the big thing I enjoyed the most was the the passion that every brewer showed for beer. Like they they did not they were not just doing a job. They they this is their art. This is their love. They're putting everything behind this, and it's not these people aren't just trying to make money. They are just passionate about beer, and it's just really fun to watch that and hear and hear what they have to say about it. Yeah, Wes, I I liked how they provided a story really from the brewer and the hop growing perspective. Mm -hmm. Uh, As a consumer, I I feel like the expectation that I have at least, and I know a lot of others do, is just high quality beer and great tasting beers all the time. And we have this, you know, a lot of expectation uh, that breweries are going to keep churning and and brewing these beers. But I also... I, I tend to forget the process behind making that happen. And, and that's what I enjoyed about this documentary, at least the second time that I watched it uh, and I got to <laughs> actually read the, uh, the, the subtitles, but it, uh, it definitely went into that backstory on, on what it's like to be uh, a brewer and, and more involved in the beer creation process, which you don't always get to see that side. Yeah, that would probably be the only thing. And, and I know that they, they kind of have to do this to, to make it interesting to a wider audience. I would almost have loved a lot of it's philosophical or, you know, these are the types of people that I go to get inspiration to make my beer. Um, personally, as sort of the beer nerd, I would have loved to see them get even more deep into, you know, how exactly they're going about making some of these beers. I think they almost take that for granted just because they are so good at it is like, yeah, it's just grains and hops and like you put it together and it turns into a great beer. And I'm like, no, no, like that is a hard thing to do. You're just very good at it. And I I don't know if that's the documentary that a whole lot of people want to watch, but it's something (laughs) that I'm interested in, just like (laughs) understanding like physically how they are doing some of the things that they're doing versus that like very top level uh, approach. So we are not going to sit here and, and recap the whole film because uh, we, we think, uh, I think we all agree you should go and watch it. Um, but again, there are some, some interesting topics that we think are worthy of conversation. Um, the very first one, and there were a ton of different, uh, very valid opinions shared about what makes a great beer or brewery. The most interesting, at least to me, and, and I want to see if you guys agree, was that uh, a lot of the quotes sort of stemmed around that a good beer is sort of, t- uh, it's a balance of being familiar, but with complex or layered flavors. Um, and and that, was a, that was a straight quote. I think it can be that, and, and I, that is one of the ways that you can make a very great beer, but I've also had simple beers um, that sort of did things perfectly, had the right ingredients, um, and, and sort of blew me away in that way. How do you guys feel with that quote? Like, do you agree that that's pretty much the theme for all the best beer that you've had? Or are there, you know, other ways that, that brewers have gone about it where you thought it was just as good? Yeah, Josh, I feel like I'm kind of in the same boat as you. One, first of all, first off, I do agree with what he's saying. A good beer is made by something familiar with complex or layered flavors. But that's not the only way to make a good beer. There's also a very simple beer, like you said, that can be good. But I think one of the best ways to have a good beer and, and broaden your horizons 
is have an unfamiliar beer, something you don't know at all. Try a different style and you could be surprised and have an amazing beer and be surprised by it. And that's how you, that's how you get further into this industry and, and you learn everything about it. If you're just drinking what's familiar, you're never going to learn anything else and you're just going to be stuck in one flavor profile and you're not going to have as much fun drinking beer, you know? I kind of feel that's where we are, Wes, that we're all trying to break out of our own kind of exactly. uh, pigeonhole, yeah, <laughs> pigeonhole, like IPA, like only style. And <clears throat> I mean, granted, we're drinking an IPA today, so that's like a perfect example. That's kind of all where we lean. But I, I mean, I would agree with, with both of what you are saying in regards to kind of the different ways to develop a, a good beer. I think there's also some kind of like intangibles about a good beer. Cause there's, you can have a good beer and we've, I think we kind of quantified a little bit when we talk about like the bump that you would give a beer, like in its rating, I think to some degree, the people you're with and the situation you're in can, can dictate the result. And as well as I think that can be, you know, enhanced or inhibited by the brewery and how they create the atmosphere around their brewery and kind of the, the overall personality that the brewery embodies. I feel like you can even take that simpler Andy and just be like it. A Budweiser is a great beer. As long as you're with your friends doing something really fun and you're really enjoying that beer, you know? Yeah. That's a great beer in that situation. Maybe not in every situation, but it can be a great beer. Yeah, I would completely agree. And I'll keep going for for just a second. I got one other kind of point that I the film highlighted, and it really stood out to me. And I think it plays into this. But I think to be a good brewer and to brew a good beer, you need the atmosphere where you are. And what I mean by that is almost like the the freedom to do that. And Christoph alluded to this when he was talking to Julia Hers, the craft beer program director from the Brewers Association, that he was lamenting that he misses that type of independent support like a brewery association or brewers association offers in the U.S. in Austria where his brewery is, where it's a lot tougher for him to stand out and to exist than it would be for a craft brewer in America. And so I, you know, I don't think this parameter like really plays into that quote necessarily, but I absolutely think it's like a must have for a good brewery to exist is that kind of legal atmosphere, I guess, for where they are, the acceptance and the allowance to really explore and expand. That sort of moves us into uh, the, the next theme that I had pulled out. Um, so Peter, uh, Andy, to your point, who was the owner and, and brewmaster of Purpose Brewing, he was also a former uh, New Belgium brewmaster, um, but he shared specifically that uh, that beer has three ingredients. And originally, I was waiting for him to give us the, the three, you know, average answers. He went with knowledge, experience, and creativity. And I, I found that fascinating because, you know, in the way that, that he interpreted it, it was kind of very high level. Uh, but Christoph did a good job of sort of using that theme throughout the whole documentary um, and through his travels. A couple, so if we break those down, um, knowledge. Knowledge meaning more than just knowing how to brew a beer. Do you know the right people? I think he had a chocolate guy, a fruit guy, a coffee guy. I'll bet he has like 20 guys that just like know their thing and that he can sort of understand trends and what's popular what might make good flavor. You have to know those people to actually understand those changes. You can't be an expert of everything. And I think that was that was one sort of interesting piece of it. Um, know the right sources, the farmers. He met with all sorts of people who could kind of help guide his creativity in, in moving forward. I just thought that was super interesting. I don't know, did you guys take away anything else where you know knowledge didn't just mean I know how to brew a beer? I did pick up on that at, at one point because it, it was mentioned that, uh, well, uh, as everyone knows too, there's there's only a, there's a very limited number of hop growing regions in the world, and you have to really know who you're sourcing from or where you're getting your hops and the quality of those hops, and, and 
So I think to your point, it, it's more about just how to brew beer. It's, it's also being able to source and then knowing the quality of the hops that you're getting. And some of those came from relationships too. So the second one that I thought was interesting in, in jumping into the second piece was experience. And uh, when I interpreted experience and, and just through his travels within the documentary, again, we're not just talking about brewing, traveling, going to different countries, seeing how they brew beer, what types of ingredients are they using? What hops do they have at their disposal? Exploring beer in places that you didn't expect to find interesting flavor. Experience can mean a whole lot more than just on a resume, how many years have you been brewing beer? I thought that was interesting as well. Finding ways to learn more from unexpected places and, and not just going back and assuming that, you know, with my 10 or 20 years of experience, I know everything that there is to know. Yeah, I really agree with the experience thing. I feel like the documentary kind of focused on that. We followed Christoph Bickler the whole way. And the, the guy won best won an award in 2019 for best beer of the year. But this is also a guy earlier in the documentary who said when he first came to the United States, he got here and he would only order European beers because he thought American beers were weird. And then somebody put a dogfish 90 minute IPA in front of him. He had one. He liked it. He had two. He really liked it. And it just expanded his horizons. He started trying everything in America, all the American style beers. And he went back and he missed that. And he missed that so much that he decided to start making those beers in Europe, in, in Germany, I believe, right? Um, and, Austria. And it, Austria, yeah, sorry. That just shows you, like, that's it, you need experience. You need to go experience new beers, new styles to really expand your horizons. Otherwise, you're just going to be making what you know. And where he knew, they weren't making, they weren't doing these crazy styles like America does. And he, he fell in love with that, and he started doing that. And the guy's winning awards like best beer of the year from whatever, whatever the award ceremony was. That's, that's a great honor. That's really cool to see. No. And, and I like that quote because if you extend the quote even further, um, he, I, I don't remember his exact words, but he believed that like something had to have been added to it. And so when he was like asking somebody that's like, right, Hey, yeah. how do they make dogfish 90? It's like, Oh, it's like literally hops malt. Yeah. like there's he, there's no added thing he thought it was mixed with something he's like this is a beer mixed with something it shouldn't taste like this like no we brewed it like this this is what the beer tastes like yeah well and then the the last piece of, of that original quota of creativity this one i think we saw throughout the entire episode everybody was doing things a little bit differently i think it taps a whole lot into the conversation we just had knowledge and experience being more about that creative aspect than maybe the the traditional thinking or, or the definition of the word. I think a, a great example of searching out and talking to the right people, you know, at one point, the guy mentioned that he, you know, he talked to a local farmer and leeks were really in season, they were tasting great, and he tried to make a leek beer. That is not something that I think of as, as being a delicious beer. But it, it sort of shows you the outside the box exploration. I'm not even saying thinking, exploration um, that can bring you to new flavors. And at the end of the day, I didn't have that beer. I assume he learned something from it, even if maybe he didn't like it himself. Yeah, Josh. And I think you can really pull creativity from anywhere. You know, it doesn't have to just necessarily be thinking about a new ingredient, but it could be kind of using, you know, Anything that's that's in front of you, any sort of inspiration. There's an example in the film uh, regarding Peter in New Belgium, where uh, Brian Simpson, who's a, a spokesperson for the brand, asked Peter about a specific beer that they were going to brew and asked him to describe it. And Peter responded that he took inspiration from a Belgian architect and wanted to take the overall kind of design aesthetic from this Belgian architect Victor Horta and apply that to the beer and then make the color of the beer or the inspiration for the color of the beer, the Belgian sunset. Thinking about beer in that way, it's like that is so abstract to me that you want to take, you want to look at an architect's style and then apply a color. And that is how, like, you're going to start a recipe from that. That baffles me. And I, I can't wrap my mind around it because there's no way that. I could ever think that way when it comes to brewing beer. 
Yeah, that, I, I, I really that... like that quote. That was it was wild to hear, and it was I love the like the reaction he said the uh, Brian Simpson gave him was just like I've never <laughs> even thought that somebody would ever exactly. get inspiration yeah. from architecture. That guy that was a, that was a really cool quote. I love that part of the documentary. I loved it as well. I think that's where I start to question some of the direction that like if if somebody gave you the explanation and you were sitting looking at the photo, like maybe you can start to attach a little bit. But, you know, if Andy, if I shipped you that beer and I just like jokingly told you that it was based on architect, like, I don't know if you're going to get that on your own. Um, but to your point also, there there is a piece of creativity there where even if you don't understand that's where it came from, if it leads to something new, interesting, or even just plain something you enjoy, and, and I think that was a theme as well, like as long as I'm making beer people love, wherever I got the idea from is, is sort of irrelevant. I mentioned it earlier, though. I mean, that's what I really liked about this this documentary, though, is, is it really it's from a different perspective than we're used to. It's from the brewer's perspective. It's from the, the creativity side of, of making these beers that, it, you know, it, as they mentioned uh, throughout, uh, art is knowledge. And you got to see that in, in I guess, as, as this, this story went on. And so, you know, I, I liked that side of it. That's what I really appreciated was the fact that that you know you, it's hard to get into an artist's head and and I, I felt like they they tried to do that um as best they could and and that's uh, to me that's that I like that side of it yeah not not to harp on creativity too much so I apologize but I feel like that is a lot of big part of this yeah. and Peter was the person that they like really focused on the creative person and just by the way he is now currently the brewmaster and owner of Purpose Brewing which sounds so cool. He's only open on the weekends. He only has four taps and it is four new beers every weekend. It's some sort of mixture, some sort of beer that he's made and it's four different ones every weekend. You're never going to get a new beer. It's the same beer every week and just sounds such like such a cool concept. So fun to see. And like, that's so creative. You like, you have to be creative. You're coming up with four new beers every week, whether that is just adding some sort of ingredient to the already the, the beer that you already have that's cool and it was just I, I would love to be able to go to that and check that out can i just let's put it on our wish list we we uh, my wife and i got to that part in the documentary and i, I sort of turned and looked at it and i'm like we're <laughs> six seven hours away yeah. like we could show up <laughs> yeah. for a weekend that'd be cool that would be cool so uh, i'm gonna sort of end this with with the final theme that, that i pulled uh and I, I think we all sort of agree Honestly, at the end of the day, there were almost 30 different things that I think, you know, would interest anybody and, and that we could have talked about. Um, so again, I think you should watch it if you haven't. Um, but the, the one that I wanted to talk about, and it's a little bit different, uh, but it's sort of alternative approaches to festivals. And, and this wasn't something that I was expecting out of the documentary, but it, it's something that I took. Um, but one of the featured festivals was Arrogant Sour Festival. It's based in Italy. Um, and, and while I'm sure we'll be covering, you know, all sorts of types of festivals, mostly in the U.S. where we're based, um, you know, once we're able to attend those again, the thing that immediately caught my attention was how this specific festival was set up. They didn't have giant branded booths like some of the ones that I've been in the U.S. where you, you know, show up to your favorite breweries and, and try some of their samples. It was honestly this one giant serving wall, uh, you know, covered in taps. No, no big posters or anything like that. Just straight chalkboard. This is the brewery. This is the name of it. Here's some tasting profiles and, and you know, the, the alcohol percentage. I thought that was really interesting uh, because it, it sort of focuses on exploration, both by the attendees and the brewers who are in attendance. You're not necessarily spending like uh, we don't have to spend a ton, ton of time on this. Um, I was a huge fan of the setup. I think there's some elements that I might miss where like, okay, I could go to my favorite brewery's tent and get a shirt or get a hat or something like that. But I would love to go to an event that was set up like this, where it's truly about, you know, the beer that's poured into the glass and a little bit less about how big of a tent you have, how much branding you have or how well known you are. I mean, Josh, it's basically like walking into a huge pop-up like tap room. 
like we've yeah. all been to, I mean, that sounds like a lot of some of our like more preferred or favorite bars where it's focus on the beer, focus on the product that's coming out of the tap, not necessarily the name brand that's on it. Like give people the opportunity to, to sit, to kind of communicate with one another, that like social setting, that just sounds like a really cool, massive tap room that pops up once a year. Yeah. While I love the branded event and it's, it's not something I want to stop going to, but there is, there is a part of that where they're just trying to sell to you. They're trying to sell your brand to them. And this seems like it'd be really cool because you're just going to be sitting down with a bunch of people who know, know, know and love beer and are going to be able to say like, oh, did you get the same one? What do you think about it? Rather than somebody sitting next to you telling you what you think it should taste like. Like you get to taste it yourself and then ask the guy to your left and say, hey, wh- what did you think about this beer? Or what was your yeah. favorite beer? What should I get next? Like, And it just seems like a really a little bit more of a casual, like just let's all enjoy these beers and have fun event rather than aggressive marketing event. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think both of those approaches have their place. I would love to see that type of event be hosted in the U S and, you know, focus, you know, focus on different styles. I mean, you walk into a tap room, you're going to get a, a wide variety, but even in most tap rooms now, there's such a focus on IPA that you're not going to really be able to explore too much because there's going to be limited options for non-IPA beers. So the fact that there's a festival that's you know dedicated to a specific style of beer, you, you don't even see that in the U.S. that right. often. You get, you know, you bring the brewers and the brewers bring four to five beers that span their range, but it doesn't focus, it very rarely focuses on one specific style or even like one or two specific styles in the same family. Yeah. It kind of goes back to the marketing thing. They're going to bring, bring what they think is going to be most popular to the people and show their yeah. brand the best. What you, you know? can buy. Exactly. <laughs> what you yeah. can buy immediately after leaving or yeah. And what, and what they day. can yeah. sell to you. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I think my, my biggest fear to this setup would be sort of pulling up. I want number 23 and you're chatting with this guy next to you at the bar who you don't know. And, and all of a sudden you learn that it's like literally his beer and maybe you didn't like it. And he's trying to get into like, why like, <laughs> that would be, that would be my fear is they've essentially merged brewers, people who work at breweries and people, and they're not putting you in, in the traditional sort of roles. It's just, we're all here enjoying a beer. Like, what did you think of it? And like, you don't even have to like my beer. I just want to know what you thought about it. I think the brewer wants to hear that though. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And I, I think you, you would enjoy that as well, especially when yeah. you hear that's the brewer. I got to be honest, Josh. So first off, I, I think due to my technical inabilities you, you here, I missed this part. It was, this part. <laughs> it was um, in Italian. So I can't really <laughs> chime in here, but I will say as you were walking through this, I felt like you were describing Meddlesome Moth, which is a bar here in Dallas. Uh, you got the chalk, you got the beer written on chalk, uh, 40 different taps. And Josh, I felt like, you know, you were just talking about, uh, one of our random weeknights when we head to Meddlesome Moth and and say, Hey, give us number 23. Honestly, that's not far off. It's Meddlesome Moth. If all those brewers personally brought the keg of beer and we're sitting in the bar with you while you're drinking all of it, which does can happen, but it's not that all hundred of these beers, the brewer is here because that. That to me is, is almost mind blowing that every beer I'm enjoying was made by hand by somebody in the same crowd enjoying the same beer that I That's am. cool. That's really cool. All right. So we are going to take a quick break and we will be right back with the unique beer of the week and a little bit of beer news. Hey there. Thanks for checking out the Brews Day podcast. For more content or to leave a comment, check out our Instagram and Twitter accounts at the Brews Day. And for your daily dose of beer photos and reviews, check us out on Instagram at the Brews Day Review. Cheers. And now back to the show. All right. Welcome back, everyone. We have just cracked our unique beer of the week. Um, we will jump straight into it. I'm going to go ahead and go first uh, while everybody else pours. Um, so I'm keeping with our Fat Orange Cat Brewery theme. Um, and I'm enjoying their, this is not my beautiful beer. Uh, it's their New England IPA, 7.5% ABV, 6,000 plus check-ins with a 4.0 exact rating, which I don't see very often. Usually it's, it's a little bit of below or a little bit above. So 
Um, the the 4.000 is interesting. It's a collab with Dorchester Brewing in Boston. Um, and I'm just looking forward. I, you know, I enjoyed the the last Fat Cat we just had, and, and I'm enjoying getting into this one. Um, but I will throw it over to Wes while I uh, while I pour this and, and see how it goes. Yeah, so similar to Josh, I'm sticking on one train from the last beer, and I'm sticking with a double IPA. Uh, I'm doing a future history from Casa Agria Specialty Ales, which from Oxnard, California, which is honestly one of my favorite breweries recently. They everything I've had from them has been very good. I actually made Josh drink some when she was when he was out here uh, recently. This is a seven point eight percent ABV, eight IBU, so pretty smooth. Uh, this one is they say it's brewed with wheat and oats. It's dry hopped with loads of cashmere, citra, Grüngeist, and mosaic hops. So a lot of Hops going into that dry hop. Um, I have not even sipped this one, so I'm excited to try it. So I'm going to pass it off to somebody else. Before you do, I would just like to say that I don't really need to be forced to drink any beer. I'll pretty much try try whatever you've got. I recommended you try <laughs> it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Rob, you're you're glancing down at your can. What are you drinking? So I have hazier triple IPA, and <laughs> I was. Yeah, glancing down at the can because I noticed that it says version two oh, on the can. Interesting. Upgrade. Which uh, made me very curious. <laughs> you seem so you worried about me. it. No, yeah, you you caught me like right as I was reading that. So obviously there's there's a version one, and that's I'm very curious now as to um, you know what the difference is, and it, it's very small too. Like I, I didn't notice it at first. Do you think uh, it's an upgrade or a sequel? <laughs> I'm going to guess it's a sequel, but I, I, without knowing anything about version one or anything about the version series, I'm, I'm not sure. Let me just keep going for a second. So this is a, a triple IPA on untapped. They noted it as a 9.5% ABV. However, looking at the can, this is noted as 9.8% ABV. So I think I don't think untapped is distinguishing between versions one and two, which is interesting. So I'm going to go back to untapped and just see, is anyone checking in version two versus version one? Um, At any rate, it has an average of 4.07, 6,000 check-ins. Wes, you actually checked this in, I think, not too long Mm -hmm. ago. I did. Yeah. I, I, anytime I can find untitled art, I buy it. I really like that one. I think I gave it like a 4.2. Um, which is apparently a little bit over the average, but like I said, Untitled Art, every every IPA I've had from them has been really good. And I don't know if I mentioned it, but they're out of Wisconsin. It is a little funky. It's not what I was expecting. Like the back half of this this beer, it does have kind of like a... (laughs) Actually, let me taste it one more time. Nope. It does have kind of like a funky taste to it. Like it has a little bit of pine... A um, little bit of citrus finish, but it's coupled with the booze as well, like the booziness taste. So it's kind of like a back kick in this beer. I think I'm probably going to land, Wes, I, I'm not going to go as high as a 4.2. Well, maybe I had, maybe I had version one. Maybe you had version yeah. one. As no, of right no, now, I'm version. landing around a four, <laughs> um, which is very, very strange for me because usually the higher the ABV, the higher my rating but still uh, it's not connecting with me right now. Um, but um, I may up this, the rating as I can keep drinking this, but we'll, we'll see. Well, should we run back through real quick and see yeah. some ratings? Josh, I'll, what do you I'll, think? I'll bring mine back. So I, there's, there's a little bit of juiciness up front, but very similar to the first beer that we had Vito. Um, the hops almost kill some of the juicy, that new England juiciness that's supposed to be up front. I really like it too. I think Andy's point earlier, you know, it, it had a West Coast vibe. I really enjoy West Coast IPAs. So I think I'm enjoying it for that reason, but I'm missing still some of the juiciness that I think they were going for in the front half. At the same time, I think it's a great beer. The 4.0 is, is probably right on. I, I might be a little bit above that just because I'm a huge fan of bitterness. And um, for better or for worse, this thing is, is packed with it from beginning to end. Yeah, I'm, I'm in a similar boat as you. Mine I, I, this has 294 check-ins, 4.25 average. This thing finishes really hoppy. 
little bit of bitterness, but like pretty smooth, which you want from a, a, a double IPA, but it's got like a, a dankness and a, a hoppiness. Really good. I'm probably above the 4.25, so probably even like 4.4. I really like this one. Nice. Just so you guys know, and the audience knows, I have been delaying for Andy because he's been showing us his beer and there's been a lot of head in there and I didn't want to make him drink through that. So I was trying to delay for him. So Andy, would you like to now reveal your beer? Yeah. Are you, do we are need you to able to, to drink Do we need yet? to go back to commercial break? Yeah. Every time, there, I, pour, every maybe, time maybe I pour more beer in yeah. the glass, the you know, head explodes. That's fine. Rob, do you want to run yours back while we wait for for Andy's I'm gonna, beer? To I'm going to give mine a 4.1. I'm going to okay. stick with a 4.1 on my on my untapped uh or sorry, yeah, my 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 rating on this one. That didn't give Andy much time. No, Andy, really just give it to us. You got to <laughs> dive in. Come on. So, I'm drinking this I'm ha- I'm having a beer that you all have had before, but I have not. And it's a Windy Hill New England IPA from Me Keller Brewing, and it's specifically from their San Diego location. It's 7% ABV, 70 IBU, has a 3.96 average on untapped with over 50,000 check-ins. And you all have seen in, in, in my video that the, the head on this right now is still two fingers. And I started pouring it when we started talking after we opened our beers. Every time I have added more beer into the glass after using no gree- nose grease, after drinking some, keeps rising to the top, if not over the top. In the description of the beer, it mentions that it is a medium bodied with a fluffy mouthfeel. Now, I'm not sure fluffy is an appropriate synonym <laughs> for extreme like foam. And also carbonation, because Josh, to your point last week about carbonation, this beer is so carbonated. You have that like bite from the carbonation in your mouth, way more carbonated than the fat orange cat we drank at the beginning of this episode. And at first I was just taken back. I couldn't even identify flavors. All I got was carbonation, foam, and bitterness. Uh, the, the kind of ladder I've gotten into it, I'm, I'm able to start picking up some of the kind of tropical aromatics. I, I do get a little bit of like a melon uh, sweetness to it, a little bit of fruitiness. I'm not really getting any of like the citrus that it talks about in its description, but I am getting a, gr- a really good amount of hot bitterness. So the, the 70 IBU is pretty spot on. As I mentioned, that this is a beer that you all have checked in. Uh, Wes, you gave it a 375 back in uh, kind of late 2018. And Josh and Rob, you guys checked this in together. Well, uh, possibly together on Untapped. One of you, I believe, checked it in just before midnight on one day and the other just after midnight. Because you were both in the same location, the dates were right standard. next to each other. That but you did, fair. yeah. But you did not check it. You didn't even tag each other. So no, was I was secret. doing a little bit of uh, sleuthing on that, and I figured you were at the same place, just kind of really close to midnight. I I don't really know. Like it's a good beer, but the foam and how carbonated it is in this like this can that I have is a little bit off putting. I'm probably going to go below the average because of this experience I'm having with the beer, I'm probably like a three, eight. It is a good beer. Once you get past the surprise and the the foam and the carbonation, but this instance, I'm probably around a 3.8 on it. That's actually still the best of all three of us. I actually got it from the source. I got this from the San Francisco location of McKellar. So I, maybe I had a little bit of advantage there. Maybe I got a little less foam than everybody else did. Um, I think, uh, Josh and Rob got this from, it, I think the station's in El Segundo, is it not? The standard in El Segundo. Correct, yeah. 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 Okay. Ways away. So we're all, I mean, we're all reasonably close. Andy, you're, you're not as low as like I, I figured you'd be after your foam situation. And yeah. these guys were drinking it midnight so who who knows what that rating yeah we were done so (laughs) yeah yeah, our rate in 2018 if we were drinking it at midnight it probably wasn't good (laughs) the the curiosity i had andy knowing that we had had that was since 2018 i imagine at least personally my palate has changed a ton um and so that's why i was curious to see what you gave it 
I assume Rob and I were close. Wes maybe gave it that bump because he was at McKellar in San Francisco, but knowing that you're closer to that three, eight, we might've just been a little bit low because we were uh, young and dumb. Wes, it looks like you gave it a three, seven, five. I gave it a a 3.5. So yeah, that was really only one more (laughs) click. Like you're, you're only one additional click. Yeah, that, that was back in our 0.25 rating days. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. That could have been just like a missed slip of the finger. Yeah. <laughs> I, I feel like for I was either one it, of us, my, no, my, when I was drinking, it was a responsible hour. I think my fingers were steady. <laughs> These guys. Been less steady. Uh, well, uh, Josh, you mentioned uh, that we were going to touch on news and, and I think I have a, a great story for this because in, in West, this ties into where you've actually had Windy Hill before from me Keller, but one of the kind of, um, I think to both, to us, especially you and me, West, cause we've been there. One of the things that kind of, kind of really stung for us was that back in May that me Keller announced that they were going to be selling and closing their San Francisco, location and Wes you and I probably you more so than I have spent time at that location and and even the the one trip that I was in San Francisco and got to experience it grew really fond of of that atmosphere and that specific location but in researching for this episode you know I I just kind of had put it out of my mind thought it was just another unfortunate downside of the kind of current situation that we're in but late last year and it's still kind of, they're still getting ready for it. Me Keller announced that it's going to reopen. So that is like my piece of beer news is that the Me Keller's San Francisco location is in the process of reopening. They're, they're still looking to hire some positions. They're, they're, their Instagram account's still active. They're, they're getting ready to have people back. So that is a great sign for 2021. I'm really happy that their location is going to open back up and i hope i can get back there soon when we're all allowed to you know safely travel and and go visit different cities yeah that's great beer news i love that place i've been there many times and i really really like it so it's really good to hear that they're opening that one back up because like you said andy that was that was some harsh news last year so yeah to hear that that and just you know san francisco is is maybe an under the radar i've i've been once or twice there there are a few breweries there that are, are really good but aren't necessarily nationally known so having mckellar back there might just bring a few more beer folks back and and they might explore you know some of the other breweries that are around laughing monk black hammer some some of the others yeah absolutely I'm, it's great news and i'm looking forward to getting back there all right so we're going to talk about big board I am. You, you sound sl- so sad, Josh. Yeah, why I'm, so sad? I'm I'm slow pausing because you know, we want to have high energy in this podcast. No, Come on, no, Josh. Really, at, at this point, I'm not. So we did NHL. Uh, it was the Saturday games. We had Boston, Washington, Nashville, Tampa Bay, and Calgary, Montreal. Uh, and and the tiebreaker was total goals. Rob, you ended up taking first again. Uh, apparently are, you know, let's stop it all and start over again. Uh, we, you know, we're right back to the, the same foot that we were. I'll give you a moment. You know, at the end of the day, all of us only picked one game correctly. We don't need to necessarily go through it all. You just sort of got within one goal of the tiebreaker. So I'll give you your weasel his way. You know, the tiebreaker. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're, you're also, you're the host. You don't have to give him time no, to talk no, about he, this. But we can, I mean, look, we all got one game, one game correct two incorrect so he's right it came down to what we had noted as the tiebreaker which was and that's the end of your time and that's it so (laughs) i'm i'm most shocked about the montreal calgary matchup and how that came out me too we all are (laughs) we uh yeah apparently be fair to be fair if that went went the other way we all still would have tied so exactly (laughs) the the biggest game changer was the was the ot game so boston washington did go to overtime uh, Washington pulled it out, which uh, did sort of change our rankings, but that's the way that it goes. And, and to be fair, Wes, you sort of had to make your total goal pick on the fly. I'm sure you were you were super busy, and, and that's probably why you were so low compared to what we all assumed might be. Yeah, the, the I made spread. a slight calculation error. I accidentally added up the average goals of I, – I took one off the added up average goals of one team per game rather than 
both teams per game, and it's not worth explaining. It's embarrassing to even say. So let's move on. Move on. I, got I, I also made a slightly no. slight. Uh, error. So we're gonna cut you off. Yeah, uh, you made a slight error by winning. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. yeah. Well, what I would like to offer up as a solution to the NHL is allow ties, and then I would have won. That's really what I'm going. Or for. if overtime had gone the other way, okay. you'd gotten dead last. So. Exactly. <laughs> There's a lot of situations here. So, Andy, uh, speaking of that, you just so that we're, we're clear for the listeners, Andy, you picked up second place with a 14 goal uh, sort of tiebreaker. Uh, I picked up just sort of playing the odds. I was at nine. So I took third and, and Wes, unfortunately, with the eight. Uh, you were just the, the low score there. I did it. I pulled it but off. This week, we have, you know, more exciting big board that Rob probably knows nothing about. Uh, it's the Super Bowl. Uh, and, you know, Pittsburgh's not in, so we, we have a chance here. Um, but we aren't going to necessarily just pick the teams we think are going to win. We're going to go with some of those exciting, fun side bets that a lot of people love to uh, gamble all their money on. So we are going to go heads or tails for the upfront coin toss. We're going to go longest touchdown. And the over-under on that is 45 yards. And the odds were about even there. And then as the tiebreaker... I'm specifically going to call out Tom Brady and the yards thrown in the game. To be super clear, the line on that is 295. He averaged 289 for the year. So just to kind of level set that a little bit. And uh, Rob, we're going to have you go first as, uh, as our resident winner. So I will be taking heads. I will be taking over 45 yards. Oh, fuck. Okay. And I will be taking a tiebreaker of... Total yards thrown of 345. Wow. Okay. You seem Ooh. to be betting going high big. on Brady. Uh, it, th- he's going to have to throw. It's that's He's playing the Chiefs, and they are a high-powered offense. I'm going, I'm going Brady at 345. That's, that's a lot. Oh. So it's a big first move. So with the with the ratings, uh, Andy, we I have you going second. So uh, now that Rob's throwing you a curveball, what what do you got? Well, uh, Rob, just at least the first two. I, I'm going heads. I, I've always picked heads. I'm going. I'm taking the over because I think actually the longest touchdown is probably going to be thrown by Patrick Mahomes. And uh, for Tom Brady's yards, I will say that he's possibly the only NFL like key position player that you could ever build a statistical average in Super Bowl games because this is his 10th Super Bowl <laughs> and his average across the first nine games is 315 yards oh, and okay. so I'm actually going to go 302 yards as his yardage for the game so I'm gonna go slightly under his average mm. Yowch. Okay, uh, I, I picked up third, so I will be going third. Um, I'm just going to go straight tails never fails. I think they all say that when they walk up, and I'm just going to, you know, it's even odds. It, it's going to happen. I'm going to agree with you guys that I feel like some sort of big play is going to happen, so I'm going to go over 45 as well, and I'm going to just go slightly under Andy, although I know that Wes could screw me over with this. So I'm going I'm to go 301. You can either screw you or screw me. And so Dan, let's just see where I'm, it ends up. I've had this written down for <laughs> so long, and I'm frustrated that I'm so similar to you guys. I thought there's going to be some differences. I wrote down heads. I was going to change it because both Rob and Andy went and did it right away, but I'm going to stick with heads. I don't want to change it. That's bad luck. I'm sticking with over, so we're all going over there. So that just means nothing. It doesn't count. That, that's okay. a wash. I should change it, but once again, I feel like it's bad luck. It's basically, I do think with these two offenses, over 45 yards is a pretty good bet. Yeah. So I'm not going to do that. I Josh was, is the only one with tails. Yeah. So I, if if that if that happens, he wins basically. <laughs> yeah. 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 I am going to say, I was going to put 320. 320 is written down, but. I mean, screw you guys. 303. I got to use my advantage of being dead last. Sorry. But Andy, Andy, you and I are off enough where it doesn't necessarily, like if it's, we're not going to be there. So you pretty much have anything under your, your 302 number. Yeah. So That's basically true. 
Which is you mean they're going to win or lose? If it's under, it all comes down to the coin toss. We're back to the coin toss. I hope it's heads. Jesus, I almost changed it just because of that, but I just couldn't do it. I felt like it was going to be bad luck, and I was going to be sad. All right. Well, I'm excited about uh, about this big board. I think we're all looking forward to the Super Bowl. It'll be a little bit different, but it'll also be you know something we're all used to uh, to seeing once a year, and, and I'm excited for it. I'm going to continue Super Bowl into the lightning round. I have a beer-related, Super Bowl-related lightning round question for each of you. Uh, I think we'll we'll go with you first, Josh. Let's do and, it. Uh, and I'm going to read yours. Think of this situation. You just scored that over 45-yard touchdown reception from whichever quarterback you think threw it. You get in the end zone. You're about to do your celebration, but you're going T.O. style. You're going to lift up that goalpost pad. You're pulling a beer out. You're going to just chug it in front of the audience. What beer is that going to be? Man, uh that is that is one of the questions that I had for one of you. So uh, so we're hilarious. we're in trouble here. We're in trouble moving forward. Um, I think I think I try to get that big sponsorship money, and I think I'm going like one of those sponsors who just backed out of a Super Bowl commercial. Bud, Bush, Miller, Bush, maybe Bush. Uh, Will Ferrell jumps out of the bushes, and and he's part of it. Um, I think I'm I'm going with with something cheap, easy, uh, maybe like a Budweiser. Get get the money. No, I appreciate that. Are you shotgunning? A hundred percent. Feel like you got it. Yeah. All right. So I will jump in and I'm going to give this one to Rob. You are the owner of the winning team. You walk down, you kind of, you know, people are congratulating you and, you know, your assistant brings up your beer of choice as you're walking out onto the field and getting ready for your speech. What's your like victory, like almost like your champagne of beer. Like I'm going to have this sip it handed off as I walk up and, and I'm about to you know be handed the trophy. I'm an owner of a winning team. I, I have to assume I'm I own the Steelers. No, you don't. Well they're never gonna win again. So <laughs> they're not winning anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna go with something from I'm gonna go with a Guinness. I'm gonna chug a Guinness right on stage. I know it's it's not American, but it's uh it's one I'm going with. So that's a rough chug. So you're you're taking it on stage. Yeah. Well, what what else was I, was I gonna do? That, I thought it was handed fine. to me as I was on, walking on stage. It can be. We'll we'll hand you your Guinness on stage. It'll it'll be great. You okay. have to wait for it to pour though. Yeah, it's a long. You have to do. They they ask you for like your speech, and you slowly pour it perfectly, and just sit there and watch it until until you, it it's time. I can't wait. All right, Andy, we will move to you next. So I'm going to go right. with you've just lost the Super Bowl as Fuck. a coach. Okay. Yeah. So you're already, you're already <laughs> pissed. Like, yeah, you're, you're already upset. <laughs> and you're headed up to the podium to talk to reporters. And they always ask like the post-game press questions. conference. Yeah. Yeah. Post-game okay. press conference. You're walking up there and you like, you know, to drown your sorrows, to, help you get over the dumb questions you're about to be asked you like bring a beer up to the podium what beer are you bringing with you i think i'm gonna go i'm going high life in a large <laughs> glass bottle so that i can <laughs> chug the high life and then throw it throw the glass bottle at the individual <laughs> that asked me that specific question because if i can't if I can't drink the real champagne for winning the Super Bowl, I'm going to drink the champagne of beers for losing the Super Bowl. <laughs> there you go. All right, last one, Wes. Uh, the end of the game, you know, everybody screams that, uh, that they're going to Disneyland. Instead of screaming that, you are going to throw out that you're going to a brewery. What brewery are you going to? I mean, I got to say it. The one brewery that I want to go to, the one I've been thinking about so much going to, and if I'm standing on national TV and they have to let me in at this point, if I yell it, it's treehouse. <laughs> They're going to let me go there. I'm going to get in front of that long ass line that they always have. I'm going to get a private tour and I'm going to drink a whole bunch of treehouse beers. It is going to be awesome and worth it. 
pretty much that was the whole yeah. reason I won MVP of the Super Bowl is because I wanted. It's also child friendly. Like motivated. all the kids, yeah, all the kids are now like, I'm going to my treehouse also. <laughs> it, like they don't know, but some people know. You're going it, to like, the it's adult treehouse. Disguise. There you go. Yeah, looking out for the whole world. Yeah, except the people that live near no trees. Oh well, those people. <laughs> <Yeah>. are, <laughs> sorry, <True>. sorry, <laughs> sorry, tree people. All right, so we will finish it off with our, our beer-related good, bad, or ugly. Um, who, who's got something to share today? I'm going to jump right into this, Josh. I'm really excited. It's, it's not happening this weekend. It's happening next weekend, and I'm excited to have it. But uh, the kind of Tacoma area in Washington is hosting a kind of virtual beer festival called the Brew 5-3 Tacoma's Beer Music Festival, and that's a play on the uh, area code in the in this city. It's two five three. So you're gonna you you know similar to some of the other virtual beer events, you're gonna get you know uh, anywhere from like five to ten beers in, in a kit. And there's gonna be like virtual musical performances, virtual kind of meet and greets and gatherings and, and kind of tastings. And I'm excited to take part in that. And that's gonna be something I'm gonna do next weekend. But uh, just wanted to to kind of shout that out the brew five, three festival in the Tacoma area. So I'm excited for it. It's awesome. I've got a good, so I was in Charleston this past weekend at a restaurant called one, six, seven raw, which is a seafood restaurant. And they had a, a beer that was brewed by Charlestown fermentory, uh, which is a local brewery in, in Charleston. And they, they brewed a beer specially for this restaurant called, 167 lager and so I got the the lager and it was I will say just a perfect complement perfect pairing uh which was a great follow-up to our our last episode but a perfect pairing for the the meal that that I had uh the oysters and and some ceviche and some others and so I really enjoyed the lager I gave it a 4.0 but I I I just thought it was it was just awesome I, I it was kind of like, you know, whenever we talk about, you know, that perfect moment to have a lager, we always talk about, you know, really nice days. And that's what they had in Charleston, just really nice weather and, and great food to go along with it. All right. I, I, I got an ugly for you guys. I'm not going to go good. So we all know it's COVID times. Beer events, beer festivals are not happening right now. Well, Arizona is about to have a drinking event, a socially distant, safe event. What? Which might sound exciting, <laughs> but would you like to know what I it is? I would love to know what At it is. At this point, yeah. It's called Scottsdale Seltzerland. Oh, are you oh, going? No. Spend the afternoon tasting 30 plus hard seltzers from brands like White Claw, Bud Light Seltzer, and Bon V. That is what's happening. Tell me you have tickets. So Tell you, me. We're gonna buy you a ticket. No, I'm gonna I'm gonna buy you a ticket. How depressing is that? That's the first one that they've done. I'm sure they're doing a good job, like socially distanced. I have no problem with that. But come on, why why couldn't it be a beer event? That's so depressing. It's a seltzer event. There's 30 plus hard seltzers on tap. If you agree event. to buy it like a 30 pack, do you get free entry? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this is yes. no joke. This is like maybe a two mile walk from where I live or I'm living right now where I'm staying because of the renovations and it's a seltzer event. It's so, it's depressing. It's really unfortunate. That, that is a live Instagram from the seltzer. Event. Nothing against you if you like seltzers, but damn, come on. Like can we have a beer event? That's, that's, that sucks. I'm looking forward to our live Instagram from the seltzer event that you're going to, that you're <laughs> yeah, going to post. Yep. Yeah. Live stream. <laughs> All right, so I will end with a good and also sort of a sneak peek to a future episode, uh, but something that I think the four of us have been hunting for for a little while based on our location uh, was Hetty Topper. Uh, it's, a, uh, it's, a, it's a double IPA by The Alchemist. It's pretty well known. Most of you have probably heard about it in one form or the other. Uh, we were able to track it down, and, uh, and we're going to be enjoying it and, and sharing our opinions on it in an upcoming episode. I was super stoked to get it, and I know we're we're all excited to uh, to enjoy one on the podcast and, and chat about it. 
Yeah, I'm stuck. I mean, the awesome. fact that you yeah. just like randomly came across it because you didn't know, like you didn't look it up and see it. No. You just got there and saw it and did a double take. Well, I'm glad you did a quadruple take and got four. So nice, Andy. That's a huge come up. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, we thank you for joining us uh, again. We enjoyed the documentary. You should definitely check it out if you haven't, uh, especially if you love beer, as if you're listening to this podcast, you probably do. And we will end this thing the way that we always do with a uh, peace. 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 Peace.